0: Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cop. Thank you and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast series Catchphrase Christianity. Uh, so great that you're able to join us uh, today in what is our final episode in this series catchphrase christianity um if you've not been able to check out any of the ones we've done so far please make sure you do that um but you'll equally be able to enjoy today without having listened to those ones we're going to come back in september with a new series um so make sure you're uh, looking out for that but for today um i'm going to risk something and i'm going to ask you to consider one more quiz question i'm very aware we're all kind of quite quizzed out by now, quizzes via Zoom and all kinds of other methods we've done the last few months. But one more question for us today. And that question is, what do you think my favourite and go-to choice of clothing would be? Now, for many of you, if you know me, um, you know that that answer is is easy and it's quick. It, it's pyjamas and flip-flops. I love pyjamas and flip-flops. And I love them so much that that is going to be the title of today's podcast. Um now, I love wearing them. I love wearing flip-flops. I wear them whenever I can. I love wearing my pyjamas whenever I can. And for me, both, but especially my pyjamas, I would happily wear all the time. Um, and I suppose the one upside of lockdown has been that that has been something that's been able to happen more than it would have been before. However, even in a pre-lockdown world, I'm still starting to push the limits of what is kind of socially acceptable when it comes to pyjama etiquette. So I'm going to go through a little kind of list and I want you to think about where I lose you. So tier one, wearing your pajamas during a Zoom call—I'm pretty sure most of us have done that at some point during lockdown. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful I've, I've kind of kept people with me at tier one. Tier two, wearing your pajamas to take the bins out. Now again, most of us probably okay. Maybe some want to get glammed up to take the bins out and guess the neighbors see or whoever it may be. But I'm pretty sure most of us would be okay with bins out wearing pajamas. Tier three. Wearing your pyjamas when your family pop round. Especially if it's perhaps an unannounced visit. Still okay? Do you need to get changed? What are we thinking? I'm sure there's some division starting to occur right now. Tier four. Wearing your pyjamas when friends come round as part of a pre-planned visit. A pre-planned get-together. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, Probably not for most people. If we kind of start to think that perhaps they've got dressed up for the occasion. and, and one person may have stayed in their pajamas uh, while everyone else dresses up. It's um, so a tier five. If I've lost you at tier four, tier five is a, a no go. Um, wearing your pajamas down to the local shop. I'm aware people may be starting to turn off this podcast right now, but we'll see if we get anywhere further with tier six. Wearing them to Sainsbury's or any supermarket of your own choice. Tier seven. Wearing them to drop the children off at school. Now I know there is no doubt that, that would not be accepted in Darlington. Um, maybe Liverpool, I don't know. Um in Tier Eight, I probably shouldn't go there at risk of having no listeners left today. But um in my defence, um pajamas are being argued now as being a kind of height of fashion and, and even Rihanna, Rihanna, um, wore hers to a movie premiere and they may not have been my kind of seven pound fifty Tesco's own pyjamas um but they're still pyjamas all the same so I feel like I'm in fairly decent company um but this is not a a podcast to do with fashion it's not a kind of pyjama um PR episode but and my reasoning for wanting to wear pyjamas is something that's incredibly uh deep and, and deeply spiritual and I feel that I'll I'll have won many of you over when I kind of start to explore that and explain that a little bit and and it's something that for me is so deep that time and space has been shaped by it that it's something that has been spoken about since before the beginning of time and has echoed in the voices of the great men and women of faith of our time that have come before us and and that reason that that kind of deeply spiritual reason is that they're comfy and relaxing No, okay i know i know i know that, that that's not necessarily a deep and spiritual reason for it but the thing that it makes me feel when I wear pajamas is perhaps something that's connected to something that is a bit more serious than just being comfy and relaxing. And the point the point is for me, pajamas and pajamas and flip flops creates a kind of sense of rest and connects to this idea of rest and, and 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 ease and peace. And I'm not necessarily talking about the kind of rest that comes from having a really good nap or really good sleep or um the the kind of thing you feel when you've been on a really nice holiday and you've come back and you kind of got, got that really kind of just chilled out feeling happening or even the eerie silence that fills a house when the grandparents are the kids for the night um no, I'm not talking about that kind of rest I'm talking about the kind of rest that that is that deep rest that no matter sleep or vacations or date nights can create the kind of rest that brings a peace to our very souls the kind of rest that um where our anxious minds are brought to ease and um, where our out of control emotions are kind of calmed and stilled. In fact for some of us it might sound like that's something that, that's nice and amazing. The idea of having that kind of peace and ease in our soul. And maybe it's a little bit unbelievable. Maybe it's believable but at the very least it's kind of feeling out of reach. And, um, but can we imagine it? Just take a moment and imagine what life would be like if you never worried again. Or what about living life as you wanted to live it and not being dictated to by your kind of stirred up or stirred up emotions? Imagine not being consumed by the need to be approved of and accepted by random people around you on social media, wherever it may be. And just take a moment just to reflect on what would happen? What would my life be like if my soul was at peace and at rest. If I knew that kind of rest. What would life be like? Because the most stunning part of this. Is that this isn't some uh, impossible ideal. It's not some far off destination. This is something that we can experience now. This is a rest that we can experience today. We can experience as we live life now, and to be honest, I probably go even further than to say that it's essential that we do experience it this side of heaven, because if we don't, without experiencing it this side of heaven, then this side of heaven, i.e., Earth, is not going to experience heaven in the way that we know and believe it can. So, why is this thing possible? Why is it possible for us to experience this level and this depth of rest? Because Jesus offered it to us. It's the simple and straightforward answer. And the answer is always Jesus. But Jesus in Matthew 11 is quoted as saying this. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light jesus is inviting us come to me come to me he is inviting us to be with him he's not inviting us onto some kind of self-help course or even to go to the latest sleep clinic he's not directing us to a life that's distant and removed from all the hard and difficult things we might have to deal with he's not even paying for us to go on some kind of all expenses paid cruise no no no. jesus is asking us to come and be with him that he's saying that that life a life that is lived with him is a life that experiences rest that to all of us and to everyone who is weary and burdened overwhelmed tired angry frustrated bitter jealous bored anxious burnt out or just experiencing something so unique and so individual that i've not mentioned it here jesus knows it he feels it he is with you in that moment and he gets it and in that moment he is inviting you to come to him to come and be with him To stop trying to figure it out all by ourselves. To stop trying to work everything out so we can get life sorted and get ease and peace into our lives. And he's saying, no, no, stop that. And come and be with me. Come and sit with him. Because he's calling us to a relationship. He's calling us to spend time with him. To walk life with him. To live that kind of life with jesus and to know that kind of rest that jesus knew i would suggest to you that the one the most essential and significant things we can do is to start prioritizing what's important over what we feel is urgent so often we are driven and moved by the urgent things of our day the things that have to be done right there and then and we miss sight of the things that are important And we've almost become a Martha generation. Because in Luke 10 it says this. Now as it happened, they they, they went into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone therefore tell her to help me and jesus answered and said to her martha martha you are worried and troubled about many things but one thing is needed and mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her we have become martha We've become distracted and consumed by so many different things that we've forgotten what is important and replaced it with what is urgent. We've got so many things to distract us, so many things to to do, so much stuff going on that it's it's pulling us away from sitting at the feet of Jesus and spending time with him. And even in the rare occasions, the rare moments where we don't have things on our minds and we're not occupied with something, we end up filling it with our phones or our tablets or our TVs. That we are distracting ourselves away from being with Jesus. And Jesus isn't going to shout, He's not going to grab your phone or grab your attention by smashing your phone, but He will patiently and relentlessly make the same invitation come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden come to me and sit at my feet come to me and choose that one thing that can never be taken away from you and you'll start to experience the rest that he knows because in that place of being with jesus by his precious holy spirit it begins to show us who he is it begins to show us what god is really like and it begins to show us how much he loves people and humanity that as we take his yoke upon us and as we learn from him we'll start to experience that rest of faith that rest that he knows and he experiences will start to live life the way that jesus lived it and will start to bring heaven to earth and we so desperately need heaven on earth right now so how do we do it how do we live the life like jesus lived how do we experience the faith that jesus experienced how how do we know the rest that he knew Well, this entire blog series, for those of you who have not been part of it up till now, has been all about God looking like Jesus. It's about enhancing our perception of God and so that we don't have a view of him distorted by misunderstood moments in the Old Testament when it looks like God steals, kills and destroys. But instead, we've used this blog series to look at um, the fact that when we've seen Jesus We've seen what God is like and therefore that realisation can bring clarity to the events of the Old Testament. We look at those events in the light of Jesus. We understand those events in the light of Jesus because Jesus is the perfect way to view what God is like. and Therefore everything else has to be interpreted through what Jesus looks like. And we've spent this entire blog series focusing in on that and we've been spending week after week Emphasizing the centrality and importance of that, and we're almost building to that kind of crescendo, that that kind of moment where we realise it's always been important. But we start the penny starts to drop, and we start to realize this, this is why it matters. Why it matters that we understand if it doesn't look like Jesus, then it's not God. Because when we realize that, it enables us to approach God and to become close to him and near to him with confidence and boldness and we start to experience the personal and world-changing rest that we've talked about it says in hebrews 4 that let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest then it goes on to say seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now for me, I love that passage of scripture. But it it, it resonates with me because at the time of kind of talking through this, I am on the verge of finishing and and, and leaving my kind of teaching career. I'll be stepping down after spending um, thirteen years as a teacher, and I'll be stepping down to kind of allow more time for um prioritising family and and church and charity work and fostering. And I've absolutely loved being a teacher. And as I kind of think back on those thirteen years, for me, I hope that I've been a teacher like Jesus is described in this passage in Hebrews four. Because my aim as a teacher was to be there to help students believe in themselves to have high aspirations, no matter their background, their context. Um, in, in essence, to be a teacher that made a difference and, to, and, and that helped shape students' lives and help them move forward on their journey. And it didn't take me long to kind of realise that for that to be a reality and be something that I was able to do, um, I needed to have and maintain really high expectations of the students I taught and I was involved with and kind of knew and interacted with. But I also realised I needed to be approachable so that they felt able to come to me, which sounds very similar to what we looked at in Matthew 11, when they needed help. For me, that was what being a teacher was, having high expectations, having high standards, believing the best for my students, but also being approachable enough for them to come and be and to get help when they needed it. And for me, that's what that passage in Hebrews 4 is talking about. That's the impression it's giving us of what Jesus is showing God is like. Because Jesus is talked about as the high priest, the one who represents God to the world, the one who shows the world what God is like. And as such, Jesus is revealing to us what God is like, that he came to correct our faulty perspectives we may have about about God. He became to shift our mindsets that cause us to pull back and not engage with him. Yes, we of course Jesus has come to show that God's aspirations for our lives is high, like ridiculously high. Um, but he also came to show us that God is here and present with us in the dirt and the mess of our lives to help us in our time of need. And because of that, we can therefore come boldly, because we realize that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That therefore we can be diligent to that rest that comes from being with Jesus. That comes from being with God. And therefore we can begin to live like Jesus lived. That when we see him as he is, it's almost like we take that deep breath and let out that huge sigh. That it's like we're home. We're safe, and now we're ready to truly live. So, as we finish off this podcast series, and as we finish off looking at this whole idea that God looks like Jesus and the implications that that has for how God behaves towards people, but also what it means for us when we see Jesus and we see God and what that creates and stirs on the inside of us, I want to close off with my final encouragement being taken from Hebrews 4 and taken from the way it talks about in verse 11 that we'd be diligent to enter that rest now the niv translation of the bible translates that verses let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest now for me every time i hear that that translation it always makes me smile because the idea let's work hard to rest seems like opposite actions or opposite verbs that don't necessarily fit together And yet when we consider that everything we've looked at across this kind of series and about how Jesus shows us what God looks like and how easy it is for us to believe in a view of God that doesn't look like him at all. It may be that we start to realize that the effort or the diligence the writer of Hebrews is talking about is about believing that God is as good as Jesus shows him to be. That perhaps our greatest challenge is actually believing the gospel. Believing the good news about God. Believing that God is as good as Jesus shows him to be. That when we realise that we have often unconsciously accepted so many incorrect, damaging and dangerous perspectives about who God is. When we recognise that to experience the rest and life God has for us, we need to strongly challenge the bad news and the bad views about God we maybe start to realize the effort and the diligence that's required to address these faulty perceptions we have of God. Because if we don't address them, it affects the rest and the faith and the trust that we experience. And we kind of see Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 encouraging the Corinthian church, the Corinthian people to do the same thing. And he he, he talks about in verse... Um, one of the early verses talks about the fact that he's pleading with them that he, he he's almost begging them um that paul was so desperate for the corinthian church as as i am for myself and for all of us to kind of almost wage war but we're not waging a war to to kind of fight on a battlefield somewhere or to kind of be against people or to be attacking people but the war we're waging is one that's fought on the battlefields of our mind. And that the focus is on as Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians 10 the focus is on pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That we hear again the greatest challenge is for us to believe that God is as good as Jesus shows him to be. That we will have arguments and we will have thoughts and ideas every day that try and tell us that he's not that good. How can God be good when there's so much bad in the world? You see, God sends plagues just like COVID nineteen. You've got cancer because God dot dot dot. Or if God was good he'd dot dot dot. These arguments, these these thoughts, these ideas are trying to exalt themselves, raise themselves up in our minds and in our thinking to a position that they do not deserve to hold and our effort and the diligence that we're required to show is to bring every single one of those thoughts and all the others that might not have been articulated just there bring them captive to the obedience of christ in other words to bring them any thought captive that doesn't look like jesus if we have a thought of what god Looks like, and that thought doesn't look like Jesus, or an idea about what God looks like, and that idea doesn't look like Jesus, then it's not God. And we therefore bring it captive to the obedience of Christ. That we recognize that the effort and the diligence is to labor at that, to work at that. Because as we do, it starts to stir faith, it starts to stir life, it starts to bring rest into our lives. So, how do we do all this? well we treat our mind like a dog because a dog's nature is to chew on things and in the same way um our mind's nature is to think on things it's it's meant to do that it's created by god to do that and if we don't want a dog to chew on the newspaper or the slippers or a child's toy then we need to give that dog something else to chew on like a bone or a, a dog toy and in the same way, if we don't want our minds to chew on or think on ideas that are wrong about God, ideas that about God that don't look like Jesus, then we need to give our minds something true about God to think on. Something that does look like Jesus to think on. And I've got a fantastic list here for you guys just to kind of put into practice and think about that are good Dog toys or bones to chew on to give your mind to think over. For example, reading the Gospels and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you in them. Reading the New Testament letters and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you. Reading the Old Testament and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you. To read books or blogs like the one we've been doing here that talk about a God that looks like Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit again to reveal jesus to you listen to podcasts like this one that talk about a god that looks like jesus and ask the holy spirit to reveal jesus to you there's a common theme in all of that but that is not done in isolation it's not done in separation then there's the talking and maybe even singing to god about what the holy spirit's revealed to you concerning jesus maybe there's talking to yourself and reminding yourself about what the holy spirit revealed to you concerning jesus talking to friends talking to family talking to anyone you meet about what the holy spirit has revealed to you about jesus that as we start to do this we're giving our minds things to chew on we're giving our minds uh things to go over and we're starting to bring continue- into captivity every thought that doesn't look like jesus every thought about god that doesn't look like jesus And so my prayer as we come to the end of this series is one that's in Ephesians 1. And it's Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. And it says this. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being flooded with light, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the work of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the ages which are to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and has given him to be the head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, I pray that we would know and see by the Holy Spirit what Jesus looks like and therefore what he shows us about what God looks like. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. And please do check out the rest of our uh, podcast series or our blog series if you haven't already done so. And look out for our next series that's going to be launching in. September. Um, thank you very much for for listening, um, and I'll hopefully uh, we'll get a chance to share this with you again soon. All the best. Bye bye.